Did you really drag me in here to listen to another one of your podcasts? Dude, you're embarrassing me in front of the wizards. Want a juice box and some string cheese? <laughs> Do you really have that? Fourth wall break inside a fourth wall break. That's like 16 walls. Flawless victory. Mother? What's wrong with me? Darling, I don't have to answer to you. I'm Batman. Why'd you open your bonghole, you smelly hippie? It's clobbering time. This is the men who look bad in spandex? That's disgusting. Are you seriously calling it that? What is up, Max? Yo, my man, steaming Stevie CBS. How you doing, buddy? I'm great, man. A little sick last week. Better now. Better now. Got the boys back together. The gang's all here for the men who look bad in spandex. Doing to you what Dune 2 popcorn buckets will do to relationships everywhere. Strengthen them. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Strengthen them. Uh, I mean, it's... You've seen uh, them. What, You've seen them, right? I mean, I've seen them, yeah. They're... Uh, they are a thing to behold, Max. Who's they are the, a thing to behold. Who's the genius in the marketing department that was like, send this to the corporate, send this to the board. Let's get approval. <laughs> I mean, it's just a, a room full of board members looked at it and said, yep, that's the one. Uh, right? Risk-tickling popcorn lovers everywhere are going to flock right, right, right to it. It looks like a sandworm's mouth, in case you haven't seen it. I mean, my real question is, is this going to lead to... A Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice sandworm for the Beetlejuice popcorn bucket? <sighs> Possibilities. Some more concepts. Possibilities, man. I got the Dune sandworms in a fight with the Beetlejuice sandworms, though, if we're, you know, if we're talking straight numbers. I mean, well, that's true. Their size in comparison. I mean, they're, they're both writable because we've seen it happen, but the, the ones from Dune are... They're just so much bigger. And it's all the spice, I, man. It's all the spice. Yeah, all the spice, and the, I mean, I have so many more teeth. The spice must it's, flow, Steve. It must flow. <laughs> I believe. I mean, uh, it, it, it's true. If it's if my Dune uh, lore is on, um, spice is actually a secretion of the worm that allows people not only to have one hell of a hallucinatory trip, but it also allows interdimensional space travel. Yeah, the way I understand it, yeah, it can be used as a fuel and it can be used to, you know, have a good Friday night, I guess. Right? Yeah. Sniff your keys. Get some spice. <laughs> oh, man. You know, it's it's not white. It's, funny. it's not white. It's it's like yellow, like orange, yellow. Do you remember David Lynch's uh, version of Dune? And obviously, you know, Villeneuve, Denis Villeneuve. I'm probably saying that mm-hmm. wrong, but it, obviously, we're all super excited next week about it. You saw the first one. Did you see the one in 80, in the 80s? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I saw the one in the 80s. I don't really necessarily know if I have clear memories of all of it, but it was a David Lynch movie, so, I mean, does anyone? <laughs> Did it actually you know. happen? Is it, is it like, it's like the Mandela effect with Shaq and Kazam. We're not quite sure if it's real or not. <laughs> oh, it's real. Well, I assure I you. I assure you. Yeah. I remember liking I remember liking the first Dune movie, the theatrical one. I, I never really was a student of the books. So, like, I know there's a lot of books. I've just never really read them, so... I read I read Dune. I read uh, House of Dune and Children of Dune. That was a decade ago, though, so I just have the, the gist of it. Obviously, the first one stuck with me. I did appreciate the cinematic masterpiece that was uh, part one. Excited about part two. Um... Yeah, I think this is a, it's one of those movies that needed technology, one of those stories that needed technology to, you know, keep pace with it, to catch up. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Comparison-wise, like, the amount of effects and things that just the first movie showed us, if they would have had that technology back in the 80s, I have a feeling that the subsequent following of Dunes that happened afterwards... Um, as far as movies are concerned, would have been drastically different. Even that one's reception would have been probably candored in a different way. True. Very, very, very true. Um, yeah, and if you've been following the saga, it, it's had its own little uh, ups and downs. With the strike, it was pushed back about one, two, three, four months from November to oh, March. Yeah. 
because <laughs> it was supposed to come out in November. The first one came out in November. Um, and yeah, it's it's been kind of a long time coming, but I think that it's going to be... Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be big, obviously. I mean... Well, I think the second second movie's especially since the first one's had so much extra time in the world, and if if you hadn't seen it in the theater, by now you've had extra time to see it. I mean, yeah, the delays, all, all that stuff pushing it back. I, I think yearly wise, they wanted to have the release to be more matching than it was. But I have to assume that the uh, followership from it for the second movie should be bigger than the first movie, only because now you've had the opportunity for everyone who didn't know whether to test it or not to get to see the movie. And with the amount of uh, press the world has gotten just from its cast, I mean, its cast is crazy. The cast is amazing. It's an ensemble cast that will be appreciated. There's a lot of talent there. I think the roles uh, are well chosen. I think the, I, I enjoy the cinematography. The scope of the book obviously is large. And if you know your history, Dune was kind of what George Lucas based Star Wars on and now seeing it re-envisioned re re for a modern audience but with still real good touchstones to the book and kind of everybody who enjoyed it before it turned into a hot IP. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just think it's nice, Steve, to get like uh, some fan service but also have a, a solid movie because if we're comparing that with something like Madam Web, that's night and day. You know, I mean, you've got you've got Madam Web, which is truly a piece of trash. And I'm sorry if you liked it. I I saw it. It wasn't impressive. Uh, if you liked it, good for you. You liked the character. You're one of those diehards. Stay that way. But in comparing the two and how they were done, lessons could be learned. Well, yeah, I mean, for me, as many things that were sort of sort of right about the web, um, Madam Web. There was drastically a, a, a bigger supply of things that were bad about it. Um, yeah. I mean, I yeah. Not there are things about that movie I like, and so if if there's pieces to try to defend, I can do that. But as a thing, the opening ambulance chase, it was it just it was boring. The ambulance chase was boring, and I remember thinking that while it was going on, and thought, I've seen better ambulance chases on TV. Like, what is what is this? And then other things that flow out of it after that that just I don't, don't know. make you know don't make sense, don't fit together the way. I mean, there's plenty of I mean, I have a couple of tiny complaints about Dune too. They're mostly not too like the sequel, like Dune the first one, not the first one from the '80s, the first one from the most recent two part. That was hard to get to, <laughs> but they're like they're like silly complaints. They're like, and I, I mean, I'm aware of the book. Certain characters behave differently, of course, because that's how everything works. And just like with Madame Webb, certain characters don't have backstory because they don't need it. So uh, you made up stuff for the movie in order to have backstory, and well, it just was weird. Right. Um, but but yeah, uh, when it comes to pieces in the world, the the two different machines are drastically different types of machines. And Madame Webb, you go to it as a popcorn movie without any second thought about it, and whatever. There are parts that are entertaining. It's all. It's not as it goes really close to being so bad that it's good, bad good, but it doesn't quite hit right enough. I mean, we need a couple more crazy shenanigans in order for it to be that, because there's bad good movies. They're so bad that they're good, and it's like it, it's almost like it was trying to be that, but just wasn't that. Did you? Uh, not that I sense much camp myself in uh, Madam Web. I just. I appreciated, I, I guess I did appreciate the fact that it can be one of those popcorn movies. You're right. That's a good point, Steve. Maybe I went in with negative thoughts, simply the uh, environment surrounding it. But the delivery, the oh, no. cinematography, it's, the... Yeah, his payoff is drastically underwhelming. Drastically. And I'm not sure why any actor, besides maybe the reason for a paycheck, gets into something like that. You know? Yeah, I mean, I... I assume when they originally got hired that most of them were under the impression that this was something different than what it is. And you'd think that partway through the table reads, or I don't know, reading the script at all, you would have said, uh, this is, is this what we're making? And if that didn't come to you in a, a thought of having read the script, 
I mean, is, is it possible that they all thought these are how the Marvel movies get made and that's what this is? So maybe I just don't understand and let's get it done? I mean, maybe. It doesn't necessarily make it a good thing or really doesn't make it a good thing. Well, But I, I, saw, I saw some article somewhere that sounded like maybe a few of the Maybe a few of the cast members thought this was actually a Marvel Cinematic movie. Oh, and not man. a Sony Cinematic. And so, I've, I mean, if that's the truth, I don't know if that's true or not. That's that, something I read the other day, and I thought, did they, how did they not know the difference? And then my brain says, well, I mean, there's a lot of people that don't know the difference. No. No, you're right. You know, I can't, you know, I can't tell me how many times I heard, oh, when's Batman going to be in the Avengers? And I just, you know, <laughs> my eyes just sort of roll, and I try not to be mean about it, you know? Like, no. Yeah. <laughs> no. I, I love the mental image that pops into my head. I got some Little Mermaid reference there. Some, you know, greasy corporate type in a Sony boardroom rubbing his hands together, singing like Ursula was singing about a poor, unfortunate soul. You know, I mean, with it's, like... Yeah, it's a good possibility. With, I mean, you know, Sidney Sweeney in mind, with uh, Dakota Johnson in mind. But this is a serious actress. This is Dakota Johnson. This is Fifty Shades of Grey. This is somebody, uh, a Nepo baby who has spent a lot of time distinguishing herself as, uh, you know, not, not, I'm not saying an actor's actor. And, and you, you make a good point. Like the ticket, um, the, the, the pass, right? You get to punch if you are in a Marvel movie or in the MCU, whatever that means to people in that industry. Obviously, you're right, whether it's like a one-off villain or perhaps it's somebody like Donald Glover from Spider-Verse who's enjoyed, you know, just being recently tied in, just being a part of it. Um, but I, I, after watching Morbius, after watching Morbius and Venom 2 even, now Tom Hardy's performance, uh, obviously soulless, Venom 1 and Venom 2, his, his gonzo bonkers performance as both the symbiote and himself, bring the movie to another level that we didn't think would get there. There is no real saving grace, not only for Morbius. I mean, even the best meme of 2022 and 23, like internet culture couldn't save Morbius. I don't think Madam Web is even closer than that. It's like they're taking out a Ouija board asking what it what it is that makes a good movie and just doing it. I mean, it feels like they're taking the cut and paste of every movie we've ever seen for the past 15 years when it comes to a popcorn movie and putting it there. You know, all the dialogue is pretty much expositionary. The action scenes are pretty well, you know, stereotypical. The bad guy doesn't have really anything that distinguishes him from, you know, every other bad guy and not a lot of sympathy there for me. Uh, you know, but then again, I, I always have thought about this with Sony and, and their whole Spider-Verse and, you know, with Craven coming up. I mean, is it a money grab? It's a money grab. It's 100% a money grab because they're like, oh, you like superheroes? Here's some superheroes. Oh, you want some superheroes? Here's some more superheroes. I got a little sprinkling of more superheroes over here. Oh, yeah, come in this alley. I got some superheroes <laughs> in my, like, you know, trench coat right here. I, I mean, you, you got a point. I mean, part of it is also about licensing and keeping rights to certain things, but in this world of AI writing, it does not does make me question, like, their team of writers on the movie, someone in that group, because there's like four of them that were in the screen, right, and are credited with the screenplay. Um, and I, I can't say that it's any one person's fault in the group, really, but the fact there's four of them makes you wonder, like... Well, when did they disagree on things? And like you said about delivery of dialogue being exposition, it almost seems like maybe one of them ran it through AI and they all just kind of said, well, we can work with this. Well, I mean, when you think of an architect like you would of maybe Faye or perhaps some other writers behind the scenes in the MCU, um, obviously Sony, I think, wanted to do this because these guys, uh, Burke Sharpless and Matt Sazama, did uh, Morbius. They did Madam Web. They're also known for, like, Dracula Untold, Gods of Egypt, The Last Witch Hunter. Nothing there on that list I just said stands out to you, Steve. I know that. I saw that Vin Diesel movie. <laughs> I saw Dracula Untold. I saw Gods of Egypt. All of those things, all of those movies weren't good movies. But people did attend them, so I can see where the they did, they did. I draw think draw is to it, and I didn't, I didn't hate Vin Diesel's Witcher movie. It was all right. Yeah, it was all right. You was know, it? Vin Diesel. Right. You know, not saying family every fifteen minutes isn't isn't bad. <laughs> I mean, it, it's a nice change of heart when he's throwing magic and swinging swords instead of flying, so you know, driving cars between good. buildings in Abu Dhabi. 
mean, I do, I do like, I do, I do like the craziness of the Fast and Furious franchise has gotten to be so crazy that it, it, yeah. Well, that yeah, it's, it's, it's superheroes, man. Well, that exists solidly in the camp phase of that type of you know genre for me. I'm not taking it seriously because I know it's not supposed to be taken seriously. Maybe the first four movies are like, oh, cool. These guys are gritty anti-heroes that are on the run from the law. And then all of a sudden, oh, these people are superheroes that are regular people that are super-powered by cars. Right. Right. It's like human transformers, but, you know, there's no robots in the skies. <laughs> None at all. Oh, it's just Vin Diesel saying family. Yeah. I mean, yeah, well, you know, you know, the way the circle comes at the end, so that's... Uh... Yeah, those are they're a whole different. Well, I mean, but you know, like Fast and the Furious isn't like being all hey connected universe, hey MCU, hey this and that. Fast and Furious is like, oh, you like that? Check this out, you know. Oh yeah, and yeah, they set yeah, something totally else right. on fire, yeah. even bigger than the last thing that was set on fire. It's it's a simple play to those you know instincts that bring us out to movies like that in the first place. But Madam Madam Web is. Nothing that it's supposed to be. Nothing at all. Besides maybe like yeah. Yeah, a popcorn movie. And looking at that and comparing it between the you know massive juggernaut that the arrival of Dune, the second part of Dune will be, it's, it's interesting to think about the state of Hollywood, the movies they make, and more. You know, if we're, I mean, if we're talking comic book movies, obviously a ton. I guess seriously, if we're going to take this seriously, a ton is writing on the newest one coming up this year, DP Wolverine. Uh, Steve, like, let me just hit you with the brass tacks I've been thinking about. This is a total MCU reboot. It's got to be with what's happened to Majors, how bad the like last kind of hashing of the TV shows and movies were received. This, because of its potential like place and placeholder it has in the MCU, that's what it's feeling like to me, and I'm just going on feel here. It's all gut at this point. They're restarting the whole thing. Well, I mean, it's a... <laughs> It's a possibility. I don't. I don't know if it's going to go quite that brass tacks with it. I mean, maybe the X Men side of things, yeah, but I don't think they just cut bait on all the stuff they've been setting up for this other batch of younger Avenger characters. And with King versus Doom, and with the announcement of the Fantastic Four, which I mean, its timing for the announcement of the Fantastic Four, I think, was to oversh- overshadow the Madam Web in the movies. And with four comes Doom, and if Doom shows up as a cameo or as a mention, sake, I mean, even in that trailer they got for Deadpool, there's a Secret Wars comic book that is a Doom covers from Secret Wars, uh, this more modern Secret Wars, Secret Wars Battle Planet. Uh, it's issue five. It's, it's in the scene. It's in one of the scenes. Hey, anyway, hey. When it comes to bad guys, I mean, Doom makes sense as another leader and can be so many Jews across the board. I just don't think it leads to a complete reboot of the universe. I mean, I, I could be drastically wrong with that, and that, maybe that's why we got no other oh. Marvel movies scheduled this year, but I just don't think that with everything that's moving forward now with, with the Daredevil and with the other movies that are still lined up, I can't see them all changing to be some new facet where all of a sudden we have a new Iron Man, we have a new Captain America, we have a new Thor, and all of them are playing with X-Men. I mean, I, I'm not saying it can't happen, I just... I feel like that's a big step. That's a overreach, you think, because obviously the Infinity Saga is pretty well in hand, right? That's untouchable. After that, everything's up for grabs, right? Well, I mean, yeah, but even so, I mean, with uh, at some point, I think with Fahey making such a big deal about pushing the 616 universe to be the Marvel MCU, not necessarily across the board, but in the movieverse, at some point, I can't... I can't think that there won't be a point where we just switch universes for that exact reason. I mean, at some point, Chris Hemsworth will be done with Thor at some point, I imagine. I imagine at some point Pratt will be done with Star-Lord. I imagine at this point, the way it is with Evans, he's already out or at least more than half out the door. So, I mean, as far as possibilities, there's a drastic stake of that that at some point we're going to reuse those characters in movies with other actors. And if it's a different world's sake because of numbers, then in theory, all those things are still untouched because the new stuff will be new stuff from a different universe. Now, is that huge scheming? Sure. I mean, is that above most people's pay grade? I mean, at least 50% of the followership, probably. I mean, 
we had a hard time with people telling the difference between the Batman franchises. So, you know, do I think it's cut and dry easy for that? No. Do I think this would be the first start of that? I mean, man, it's it's a possibility. The list of names appearing in that movie is so crazy. And we know there's at least two different Deadpools, so it means we're dealing with at least two different universes. And if you saw the Marvels, and the end of the Marvels did hint at that being a thing anyway. So, I mean, could it be the gateway to open and restart everything? Sure. I mean, it could be. Is Ryan Reynolds the big what? enough property to float that? Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. Yeah. But the movie's still rated R, uh, which you... it should be. Yeah, yeah, obviously. But, uh, because it's radar, that also takes your popcorn attendees and cuts that, I'm not going to say in half, but there's a lot of the population that, with the children factor, now granted, a lot of these kids grew up in the movies, now they're old enough to watch those by themselves, so it doesn't really matter. But I still think that part, I think it's, I think it's a huge, I think it's a huge reach. I don't think that it's impossible I mean, there's been crazier stuff, man. I mean, yeah. New 52 is crazy, so... Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. They gotta do something, though, uh, about things, uh, certain things, whether it is, like, the appearance of Scar from She-Hulk, whether it's the fact that we haven't seen White Vision again. There's so many things floating on there that have become trademarks of MCU storytelling kind of devices that have left us with these dangling, and pardon pardon the Madam Web reference, uh, you know, streams <laughs> of this web that they're pulling tight. And the fact that they never did or do anything with that, like, you know, Mayesha, uh, Mayesha, I don't, Mr. Ali's Blade, you know, the Black Knight from the Eternals, the Eternals, period. You know, do they want to navigate away from that? I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, the success and, you know, uh, opposite of whatever the success was of some of that stuff really kind of put them in a pigeonhole. Not that I'm saying that you know, comic book movie fatigue isn't a real thing, and some of these stuff is just isn't well done, you know, because Loki was, you know, one of the best things ever. Loki 1 and 2 is it's still one of the top things in the MCU period when you look at quality of storytelling, so, uh, you know, and uh, the people that did it. But, man, there's, there's these moments that I wonder about, you know, and Scar, obviously, I think the big one for me was the appearance of Scar in uh, She-Hulk Attorney at Law. The, I, I don't know, Call it shoehorning, if you will, just kind of thumbing things in when they can because they have a bigger picture, and maybe we see them later in an Avengers movie. Yeah, that's fine. That's that's, that's well and good. But if you're going to keep cranking out content and you want people to make it coherent and you want people to make it part of their regular viewing schedule, I mean, there has to be some sort of quality that goes into it. You can't say, oh, here's some more crap from the MCU, eat it up. That is lazy, and it gets you in a ton of trouble because you end up completely just with kind of where we're at now. Now, the Jonathan Majors thing, notwithstanding, that's kind of an anomaly, right? But you look at you know, his reception in Ant-Man, Quantumania, you look at kind of how he petered out in Loki season two, Steve, it's, it's like, it's, it's been a slow kind of creaking stop, you know, like, you know how in cartoons they have the car and the car starts off really well and <laughs> goes down the hill and it's cruising and then they hit stuff and then like all of this like wind comes and the tires go out and next thing you know it's this jalopy with nothing but a frame that comes to a puttering start stop that is the MCU right now in my opinion and i think yeah deadpool wolverine obviously with the per, the popularity of Hugh Jackman and you know Ryan Reynolds together you're right those those two dudes can carry it obviously but they had they had to you know kind of re-inject the life into it and you you know it's it's kind of that thing that a lot of entertainment relies on these days just a shot in the arm with a nostalgia vaccine hoping we're going to forget that -hmm. these things aren't that good in the first place no it's true it'll be interesting to see like what all that what all that piece of it carries it it's just it's funny in the scheme of things that we've seen like, real recently, you saw that Jonathan Majors has made a deal with DC, so I guess we'll see how that goes in the second leg. But the way the way you equated it to, a, to the breaking down jalopy from the old Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse and stuff, I mean, yeah, there are definitely pieces in there that it felt like 
them throwing wrenches in their own in their own engine as far as it was to go with the algorithm or the algorithm allegory. Is that the right word? Uh, yeah, allegory. Yeah, allegory. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, metaphor. It's whatever. You know, Jack Nicholson said sometimes that people who speak in metaphors ought to shampoo my crotch. So I try to avoid <laughs> them sometimes, you know. It's funny. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. no, sometimes they're, they're necessary, though, because you gotta, you got to make that connection. you got to give people an idea of what you're looking at. No, no, yeah, entirely. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if if, uh, if this writes the ship. I do think that even if the Deadpool movie just serves as itself and is a fun romp and wants to be in a great movie and it has little expectation answers at the end, it, because we have such a div- such a big gap between movies this year, next year they've got four on the slate to happen. So is it a possibility that this uh, break between the uh, Deadpool movies time afterwards and a little bit of time before is simply to, uh, I don't know, clean the palette maybe? Uh, and I think Deadpool would be good for that because it has all the pieces that hardcore fans want with this, the silliness and the shenanigans that just uh, average goer fans can enjoy too. The only place it doesn't sit is is in a wider market. I mean, like I said earlier, with the with the kitty factor, you can't can't quite I can't quite land it the same way as you would your biggest checkpoints. That doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. It just means I think that it by itself, with the power of Jackman and uh, and Reynolds, is is enough of a movie to get people to go regardless of their most recent disappointments in the uh, grand scheme of things. And if that lets them shake it off. <laughs> between now and next year, I, maybe that's maybe that's exactly why it's shaped the way it is. I mean, we know a few projects have changed because of the whole majors thing, and we know that they've been searching for who they're going to use that new folly. And with the announcement of the four, well, I mean, I mean you and me have talked before about it being Doom, and that makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of people that suspect that's the case. So it'll be interesting to see like where all that follows, I guess, um, along the wayside. But it's like the last year they tested things trying to find a different audience when the only theory they have, it, just, it would have continued to grow, I think, regardless. So pushing the uh, boundaries with it, it's some of that soapbox stuff. You want to try to appease a bunch of people that, I'm going to say, just don't necessarily care. Not that not everybody's invited, because everybody's invited to the party. That's yeah. all I'm saying. Yeah, it's a point. It's I'm just a... saying there's super, there's certain soapboxes that don't carry the direction, and when you go and you put the one bad apple in the mix, well, it taints the whole punch bowl. Yeah, you know, I'm afraid. The, 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 the quote-unquote turd in said right. that punch bowl, you're right, and, you know, those people notwithstanding, obviously, um and those are the people, though, with the loudest voices. Squeaky wheels uh, get grease, and you know how no, it no, is. That's, that's totally true. On that's the internet. Nature. I'm going to have to right. go get myself some shampoo for Jack Nicholson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's full circle. Beautiful, man. Although it does look like there's a lot of fan service. And if I, if there's anybody who can pull it off, hit the expectations while still delivering on everything that you just talked about, Steve, it's got to be them, man. And you, you, you already mentioned an Easter egg. Do you feel that Cassandra Nova is going to be the bad, baddie? I mean, we got uh, Shatterstar in there. We had Patch in there. We've got, you know, Captain America. We going back to the TVA. We've got references to Age of Ultron in the opening scene. That that was all in there. The first trailer, and obviously we'll dissect more as more trailers come out between now and then. But you know, Pyro from the original X Men next two is also slated to uh, say hello. Uh, but, yeah, man, oh, yeah. so many the things. Amount faces, man. Yeah. The amount of names and faces is so crazy. Right. That, and it's awesome. It is. It, it's that type of excitement that you want kind of in it. But, you know, you can't – it's tough. Over-deliver, like Overselling and under-delivering is one of the hallmarks of why these things have failed in the last three years. No, it's true. It's just true. Yeah. Under underpaying on expectation. Right. Um, which I mean, you can't. It is like the Star Wars. You can't make anybody happy all the time. But as far as a thing, you've pushed about as far as the other direction as you can with a lot of people. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, speaking of uh, making myself happy, making yourself happy as well in the uh, movie world, you just you're telling me about Lisa Frankenstein. Nice little piece of fun, little fluff, <laughs> little good times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, yeah, I mean it is. You could liken it to Warm Bodies. It's a little darker than that, but it, it was a fun. It was a fun popcorny kind of movie. Uh, written by Robin Williams' daughter Zelda, and I think that's really cool that get get a piece of material from her just because of who she, you know, who her father was. So I think that's really cool. Um, Cole Sprouse is in it. Um, Ant Man's daughter, whose name I can't remember now, mm-hmm. not in the movies, but the actress who played Ant Man's daughter, not Paul Rudd's in the daughter. Most recent movie, not Paul Rudd. No, oh, right, right. The ageless <laughs> wonder. That's that's the guy. The second daughter, no, third daughter. Gosh, my God. The third daughter of Ant-Man, who now I can't remember who. Sorry, I, cool. I thought it would come back to me while I was trying to figure out the name. I don't hold the things against you, especially things that involve uh, naming Paul Rudd's extended uh, nuclear family. So don't feel bad, man. Don't feel I couldn't do it either. I just think that uh, I was intrigued. You know what? Actually, Lisa Frankenstein, you know what? The first thing that came to my mind, Steve, when I heard it and I'd seen huh. it. Do you remember the uh, line of folders, notebooks... Um, school supply kitsch, if you will, that was under the name of Lisa Frank, and it featured unicorns, bright colors, pastels, all these things. Oh my gosh, there's small vague memories. Not this is what I thought it was about, but when I had looked into it more and found out it was done by what's her name, Diablo Cody. Yeah, Diablo Cody directed it. Oh, it's Catherine Newton. That's who plays the part. Hey, Catherine look at Newton. you. It just came right back to you. There it is, man. Amidst yeah. all the other strange and wonderful things inside CBS's brain, you've got a, <laughs> you got a name, man. You have a face and yeah, a name. No. <laughs> yeah, she, she, Diablo Cody did it. And, uh, she also I mean, did Megan's like body. I don't like her. She's got a bunch of different things. Oh, she's kind of body. a... Yeah, she exists in this kind of the cult status, right? She has her fans that are deserved. At the same time, she rubs some people the wrong way. But, yeah, Megan's body was rather fantastic. <laughs> it was rather funny, <laughs> rather good. If if you can laugh at yourself, uh, I recommend Megan's body, definitely. Uh, and it sounds like same thing for you, for Lisa Frankenstein. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was fun. Like there's, there are. I'll tell you, there are points in the movie where I laughed out loud, but I, I was the only person in the theater that did. So, uh, <laughs> um, so was it the wrong parts? Maybe was it that no one else was there, either with me or not with me? Just don't get it. Maybe, or maybe, maybe I don't get it. I mean, that's a good possibility. Uh, yeah. I do love those moments though, when you get the joke and it seems no one else did, or they got it and didn't like it. But then again, you know, some people are in on the joke and aren't able to laugh at themselves, so you ne- you, you never know. I, like I was telling you earlier, I found kind of myself in that same situation when I was watching the Barbie movie. I was laughing the whole time because that was one huge joke to me because I thought it was supposed to be, and that's why I laughed. But for some people, it wasn't. <laughs> there are delicacies in that movie that are funny, too, though. Yeah. Like, it's, you know, as far as... Uh... I don't know. When it comes to films in general, like that thing did, did so crazy, so much, so much crazy money at the box office. People liked it for all kinds of different reasons. So, uh, I mean, I, like I said, I think Lisa Frankenstein was fun. It, uh, I mean, it's fun with a taste of murder, if that makes <laughs> okay any sense at all. Because there's definitely some of that in there. With a taste of murder. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's. Uh, it's, it's silly. <laughs> I like the tagline. I like the tagline, Steve. Those uh, Hollywood types could learn something from you, my man. But uh, what do you got? Like, uh, like how many CBSs out of five do you give Lisa Frankenstein? Three at least? 3.5? Oh, man. So if I'm doing things on a five scale like, uh, like I like to, I'm a, I'm a top five, top five fives. Um, man. <sighs> do you give it three top you know, fives I, out of five I, I, top fives? I give it a three. Yeah, three? I, give it, I give it a three. I've watched it. It was pretty. It was, it was pretty funny. It had. Uh, it definitely had pieces. There. I mean, it's it's a it's a it's taking place during the eighties, um, and that's partially to make certain things kind of acceptable in the jokes and uh, the way that people are dressed. So we get a lot of. We had a cool soundtrack. I mean, we have Wave 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 of in there by the Pixies. I thought that was great. Hey, well, um, the eighties, so, right? The eighties. No. Yeah. Yeah. Can't so beat it. He's got that that kind of nostalgia glasses to it for the sake of 
you know, the shape of the world. And when it comes to playing the part, I don't, I feel like Cole Sprouse does great for, I mean, he maybe has, I don't know, maybe 10 lines the whole movie. But, I mean, he does good as he would be, well, Frankenstein, I guess. Well, good for him. Him working again. I like that. I, I don't really remember what he was in. I feel like there's a Disney Channel show whose name I'm misremembering, but I'm sure he was in one of those, like The Misadventures of Dylan and Cole. Dunstan Checks In or something. I I, I don't know. Orangutans and no, Hotels. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely a... He was one of the duo, and yeah, he, I think the last thing that I think he was actually on was uh, uh, Riverdale. He would play Jughead. Oh, nice. You know what's funny about that, Steve? There has to be people that play the parts in the movies like Air Bud 6, okay? All right? And if Dylan <laughs> Sprouse or Cole Sprouse or whoever, whatever his name is, is one of those, eh, so be it, my man. But. Yeah, 80s nostalgia. You can't beat it. I mean, if, if you really want to start at least with one successful trope, definitely start in the 80s. Yeah, definitely start in the 80s. You can tell by as many movie remakes that they make from the 80s. If you're a Roadhouse fan, that one's coming to Prime very soon with old Jake G, Mr. Gyllenhaal. But, you know, speaking of nostalgia, man, um, did you see the X-Men? You, you saw the X-Men 97. Let's go, uh, let's go a little decade you know, ahead. Let's fast forward through time. Let's go to X-Men 97. The trailer dropped. Long time coming. The animation looks a little updated. Uh, apparently the voice cast is the same. My man, your thoughts? I mean, that trailer is great. Like, it's... Uh... I mean, yeah, the animation isn't exactly the same, but that's it's it's really close. I think as close as need be. But uh, the voice actors, the sound effects, the way they did things in the animated in the commercial, it it just looks awesome. I mean, it's 100% nostalgia glasses. So it'll be interesting to see what the show winds up being about. I mean, they pick up from the end of the other series, and we're just moving forward with with the way things were happening in '97. And we've had a drastic amount of things change in the comic book since then. Um, so as far as the flavor of that era again, I think that's really great. I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see if it does any... I mean, because they said it's only going to be one season. I mean, I guess we'll see the amount of attention it gets if that winds up sticking to being the truth or not. Because I, I think it'd be kind of interesting to see if they uh, elected to do more with it or not. But hey, hearing the trailer, hearing the voices, it's just funny hearing Wolverine with a different voice the way he had back then. Yeah, that, was, that, that got me a bit. That got me a bit. You're listening to uh, The Men Who Look Bad in Spandex on Magic 93.1, a.k.a. The Forbidden Jedi Bromance. It's Max. It is Steve. We're talking X-Men 97, comics, movies, and more. Yeah, um, if you get a chance, uh, those of you listening out there, Disney Plusing it up, yeah, check out the first, what was it, three seasons? Oh, for, for X-Men 97? Yeah. For, well, back then, just X-Men. Right. Yeah. Just X-Men, yeah. Fox Kids, uh, Saturday morning cartoon X-Men, yeah. And that was well-written, despite it being a show in the line of uh, the Toy Biz kind of model of make a action figure line and then make a TV show to go with it so you can sell your action figures. I don't know. It's the right era for the, what they were doing back then, but for the show... There is so many comic book elements in that show that really compared to yeah compared to other things like even in just the intro you see so many like C and D list bad guys and a handful of other good guys and in just the opening trailer from the original season one because the show plays heavily from the books now is it the same as the books well I mean no uh, but close enough and. The idea that there was references. I mean, we see strife for Christ's sakes. Like I know. You also see Warpath. Warpath is in there. There's a strange, small little pink blob that looks kind of like the leader, but isn't the leader. Right next to Warpath, in between Juggernaut. I don't know who it is, but it's something. Uh, Even Blizzard. (laughs) Blizzard from the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Man, what a horrible, what a horrible team name. Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, kind of pigeonholing yourself there, but that's another, uh, you know, gripe. But yeah, uh, it was it was really good from the Sentinel stuff to the Savage Land stuff to the space stuff to the Mc, Moira McTaggart Scotland saga. The show was really 
truly one of the most comic book accurate things probably ever done outside of comic books itself concerning the X-Men. Well, yeah, and like you said, for being a property that was partially happening to sell toys, like it, it still had a, another level of uh, storytelling to it that other things of the same nature didn't. Yeah. Very true, because they tried to do the same thing with Iron Man. They tried to do the same thing with the Fantastic Four. Uh, too little or not nearly as much a success as the X-Men thing did. Mm, but, you know, it's it's full circle, obviously. It's nostalgia, like you said, the glasses. And now we'll pivot into it, and hopefully, once again, it will deliver. I like the cliffhanger we left it on. Uh, that's pretty fantastic, as, you know, Magneto inherits everything after Xavier dies. Because that was, that was, that got me. Do you remember the finale back in the day, when to me, my X-Men, one last time, and then weep, weep, weep? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the iconic yellow hover chair, really, that was established, not mostly in the, um, in, the, uh, in the show. The comics had it, but it was mostly really kind of a hallmark of Xavier in the show, uh, on the show. Man, I remember, dude, the Wolverine Sabretooth saga. Dude, that thing had me on edge, brother, them fighting <laughs> in the Antarctic. Holy oh, cow! Yeah. No, uh, man, yeah, there is... There's so many like pivotal pieces in the show that made it feel so heavy. Yeah. Just, I mean, especially as kids back then, I was like, this is the craziest thing ever. Like, Archangel, don't attack Apocalypse. You're going to let him free. What are you doing? Right? Like, it was, yeah, no, no. I know. Yeah, I remember. Another great one. The Morlock saga, that was well done, too, man. Oh, yeah. Well, and for just three seasons of the show, like, they covered. So many things. I mean, we had Dark Phoenix in there, too. Sure like, did. There's, yeah, man, there's so many things they covered. Yeah, I'm excited to see where uh, all the things go. I'm gonna. Are you going to rewatch on Disney Plus, or are you too well ingrained in that you're good to go? I would. I'd like a little brush up. Like back to the first part of this podcast, Dune. I'm going to watch the first Dune movie before I check out the second one again. And I feel like I should. I actually like to do that, Steve. I don't know how your streaming habits are. I love to kind of catch up when a new season drops of something because it feels good to reconnect the storyline. Um, depends on how, how recently I watched whatever it was. I mean, there's definitely occasions where I'll go back and want to touch up on certain things. Um, I wouldn't say it's always a hallmark for me, but I, I mean, I have been thinking about, especially with as many times as I've seen the Ghostbusters trailer, I've been thinking about going back and watching the most recent Ghostbusters just for that sake, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's glorious. <laughs> it's, I mean, there's some things in there when you know, you know, man, it's it's too good. Oh, man. you know. And if you know, you know, let's uh, head over to the books these days. If you know how good that first Thundercats uh, issue was, you'd probably pick it up at Top 5 Comics at the first of at the corner of First and Orchard, man. Steve, you put that in my bundle? Brother, that was that was the nicest thing anybody's ever done for me in the last <laughs> month, dude. That was nice because that thing kicked butt, dude. I don't know it's 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 good. I got the, the clan Shelby's writing it and Drew Moss is drawing it and covers. I mean, there's a slew of different covers, right? But the interior art is really sharp. Drew Moss is good, and like I don't know, when it comes to series of things, Thundercats has had a few runs in comics. Cause, I mean, at one point, Image did them for a little while, and it would be neat to see like what where we go with it with this group. And that first issue came out very well and so quickly. I mean, this is funny. Not funny. This is interesting. So print run-wise, they're, they're already going back to second printing for issue one. And of the original first printing, what was ordered between stores and shops and online shopping, blah, 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 from the distributor, run up being around 170,000 copies distributed across the multiple covers. Mm, okay. By the end of the game, they're saying there is a print run of first prints. Now, granted, there are one in 100s, one in 25s, one in 50s. One. There is so many freaking covers, it's crazy. Yeah. But like 180,000 copies of the book wound up being distributed out into the world, and now we're going to second print. So uh, that should speak for its popularity, because that's a lot of, that's a lot of books, especially when you're doing the run-through. I mean, Dynamite's a smaller company. They do a lot of big properties. I mean, they do Vamprella, Red Sonja. Uh, they've got 007 right now. 
uh, in the past they've done the shadow, the spirit. Um, so like, there's not, they've got a bunch of Disney stuff they're doing right now too, actually, which this particular line, the Thundercats line, I assume you saw the end of the book, right? I mean, I know, I want to know you did. Mm -hmm. So like the tease at the end of the book is to set up another cartoon, uh, cartoon comic as it was, uh, because they're going to be leading to a space ghost series and uh, that thing hasn't actually been announced for day of release yet, or even solicited yet. Wow! But the back of the books, one one of the last three ads in the back of the book, is a Space Coast ad <laughs> for the Space Coast series, <laughs> and it is it's not going to be coast to coast Space Coast. It's going to be OG OG done Space Coast. Yeah, wrist uh, wrist lock uh, shooters. Uh, yeah, is laser beams and uh, yeah, he he was. Uh, the original, he was kind of coming out of the Johnny Quest uh, time period, right? He was one of those superhero types that f fell into that mold. Well, yeah, I mean, his, his original series is from back in the 70s, but the show itself, I think it only had one season by memory. Don't, don't answer that on a trivia game because I don't know if that's right. I think that's right. Um, but he, he hasn't had a standalone comic book series in like 20 years. I mean, they did do... I don't know, maybe back in 2015, we had the Future Quest books that happened, and those were an ensemble book, and they were a pairing of Johnny Quest and Space Ghost and the Herculoids and a handful of other Hanna-Barbera properties. Yeah. Uh, Future Quest was a, was a mix-matching of those things. So we had all those pieces together, and the book bounced between Johnny Quest and Space Ghost and a couple of other characters as it went on, uh, and there was two different runs of it. But it wasn't a solo series. So this is his first solo series uh, in like 20 years. And the grand last one that was a solo character series that Alex Ross did to the art for it, and it was great. Uh, huh. But again, it's removed now by time by two decades. So mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, which is crazy as a thing to think about. Well, I mean, if you um, think about that too, and Space Ghost kind of moving linear through that time period, you're not only discussing the last 20 years because. If you remember, not only the original 70s show that was birthed out of that kind of action-adventure, uh, young, male-focused demographic uh, when they were making kind of TV in the heyday, to the beginning of Adult Swim. Uh, it was Space Ghost Coast to Coast that was the beginning of that uh, now massively huge brand kind of like, umbrella. That uh, oh, yeah. that's where it all started. Space Coast, the Coast to Coast interviewing with uh, you know Brack and uh, the Mantis, uh, and those, those are all like repurposed from that one season you were talking about. And yeah, to see, I, I don't know if it's, it's more, more of a full circle moment. It's more of like a hey, this this might work too. And you're absolutely right with Dynamite's kind of approach to these things that they have rights to now. If they do make that happen, and then they kind of get with this Thundercats, but. You know, the difference between Thundercats and Space Ghost, obviously, is, you know, Thundercats following is a little big, right? Anytime someone talks about the Sword of Omens or the Eye of Thundera, you're probably going to get somebody. But if you're going to talk, you know, Space Ghost lore, it's going to be a little different. Well, yeah, he's, uh, he's got a different moniker in the past. And, like, what his, uh, what his basis was um, compared to the Thundercats, the different grasp in uh, pop culture, I would say, and... And like you said, with the standings and the space coast, coast to coast, and whatnot, I mean, those are all things that just added to the uh, the the lore of him, really. But those two things were drastically different. Like the coast to coast versus what his initial show was was were two totally separate things. But yeah, when it comes to like the setup for things and the the way that the uh, the way the rest of the world works, I would say if you were stacking the two things next to each other. Thundercats had a whole line of action figures. They even have a line of action figures being done right now through a company called, uh, oh, man, why well, can't I remember what they need? Super 7, there you go, sorry. Super 7 is doing a whole batch of uh, Thundercats action figures right now, and then we've had a couple of different animated series of Thundercats as well. Which wasn't too bad. Actually, that no, last... It wasn't, wasn't bad. That young adult one wasn't, wasn't bad at all, the kind of, uh, like, a, like, late teens version of the Thundercats. Yeah. 
Right. It was. Oh yeah, it was good stuff. What was it on? But, it, I mean, CW. It, it only really got killed because his toy sales didn't go well. No. Yeah. I mean, it obviously, it's a weird format. You gotta, you gotta move product, Steve. You gotta move product. Everybody who's ever worked for a cartel knows this. <laughs> if you don't move product, you die. Um, see, I mean, I mean, that's true. That's you know, it's funny you mentioned because everything we've talked about almost has done this move product. The touchstones of these. Things we've been talking about for the last nearly hour, yeah. They they sold things for people who wanted money out of them. <laughs> That's why we're, oh, yeah. we're blessed with them right now, man. But it's good to see the Thundercats back on, you know, paper, uh, the universe expanding and more. Because an original idea, even though it was an idea conceived much like He-Man was, it was such a unique and really thorough concept that thought out. That's what I loved about it. You know, even though you're one-offing, you know, these things, these characters, these storylines, they were well done. And the background and the lore, the literature, everything that surrounded it really, you know, created all the fans that will go out and buy 180,000 copies in the first month of the print. Oh, no, that's true entirely. Mm-hmm. Like, Thundercats had, it's, had, it had such a neat story. And yeah, you're right. Just like any other properties we're talking about, they're being driven by Slack of evil businessmen. <laughs> Greasy. Greasy. I mean, yeah, by nature. I don't think they mean to me. That's just how it happens. But the backstory of it is that the show wanted being just so interesting. I mean, the same thing, like you said, with He-Man. Like, they resonated in a different way that, yeah, it served its purpose, but at the same time, like, it landed so differently that even by today's standards, like, they have a warm, fuzzy feeling inside, even if you didn't get the toys. So, yeah, it's one of those things that, like, I don't, I don't know if there's been other things that have been that have had similar draw in the in the I see the 2000s or the aughts, but nothing that I feel is as powerful as the 80s stuff was. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe just a sign of the times. Obviously, the 80s really powerful kind of motif in human kind of the human psyche period what that like represented it, not only for the United States, but globally uh, for technology, for advancements in, you know, so many fields from medicine to fashion to automobiles, all this stuff. Like the 80s were the future for a lot of people, the future that was promised by the sci-fi writers of yore. Uh, and the fact that it felt like it was turning out, and then, of course, the 90s and 2000s happened and kind of petered out, because, you know, we don't have flying cars yet, but we certainly... We certainly do have the internet, so I don't know which one I'd rather take. But um, <laughs> the idea, I mean, flying yeah. cars sounds super dangerous, but super fun. Yeah, you know the uh. internet's the internet's <laughs> nice. Don't get me wrong, I like the internet. It's not exactly the healthiest thing for people. I mean, if we're talking fatalities, I feel the internet probably kills more people than a flying car would any day. <laughs> not that I know well, anything. I mean, I'm not. I'm not a so-called expert of you know broadband i just remember turning aol discs that promised 250 minutes into ninja stars that's that's really it I remember it was that large that they were giving you cds enough to make sure you had the hourage or the timeage you needed to spend on aim or you <laughs> whatever whatever it is you were doing back in the day with dial up and, and whatnot and now of course with broadband and wi-fi and Bluetooth and these technologies that have these fancy names, you, you know, it, it's funny when, when you think about it and you think about the things that do last because they make money. It's, you know, the internet certainly makes, makes people a lot of money. Let's go from one icon to another here from the Thundercats, Steve, as we go from them to somebody so much bigger and we talk about comics selling out. Uh, Joker year one is about ready to finish up, as you were telling me, and it was one of the biggest-selling comics in recent history as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for uh, series-wise, it's uh, the regular Batman, issue number 142, 143, and 144, that are a... Uh, the title is Zero Year for the Joker, and uh, it's Chip Zdarsky, who's coming hot off his Daredevil stuff, which... Is very good, and he's been he's been writing Batman for I don't know maybe the last I think three volumes of material would be would be him. And he had a series that was called uh, Batman the Night, which was uh, not necessarily origin story, but it was like adding to the mythos of Batman's training as he went through Europe and trained from a bunch of different people. Which the Joker story also has a piece that kind of connects back to that story actually, 
Um, and yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. It's it came out. It was released really, really fast. They put it out once at once a week. The last one comes out um, number one forty four this coming Wednesday. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's managed to sell itself out to distributor, and even the one that's coming out this week is it's already sold out. So release wise, they're going back. They went back to second print for one forty two. I think the sec- the day after the release. And uh, I mean, the second print's gonna have a really cool cover. I don't know if they second printed. Did they second print forty three? I can't remember if they did or not. Um, let me look and see if this list has it on it because I don't think I don't think it did. It doesn't change the fact that it just means the first issue was so uh, sought after that the second printing came around really quick. I mean, those stores, including us, uh, tried to increase orders. Um, Do you think as we went to the second part of it? Good. Oh, yeah, I guess it didn't. They didn't second print the second one. Glad to hear that, man. I'm glad uh, that was good. Yeah, always good to order more books. Um, now, was there a reason, or do you have an inkling of why uh, DC didn't kind of have its own breakout graphic novel type of approach, like say Batman Year One did, or even even when they tried to do the Superman Year One and Green Lantern Year Ones with Jeff Johns and you know J. Michael Straczynski and those types. Um, how come they didn't those do that were, with the Joker? Those were a little different with what those were. They were. They were so a, the, like a Elseworld yeah, kind of print? They were. So when they were doing the when they were doing the books we we're talking about, they were uh they were they were uh Earth One books. So they they were retelling the origin story, even Jeff Johns' Batman, which is kind of where pieces came from for the Battens and Batman. Not directly across, but there's definitely pieces taken from there. Um those the Earth One books were like Think like how Marvel's got alternate universes. They were alternate universe tellings. And yeah, they were set in like origin stasis. So even the Wonder Woman one was kind of done that way. Those guys weren't really the same kind of idea um, as far as what they actually were. Because yeah, they were like origin storyish. I mean, the Superman had three volumes. I think Batman had three volumes. Wonder Woman had at least two. Green Lantern had. I think two Teen Titans had one, uh, but the way they were set up was uh, accustomed to a modernization. So I think more like if you're going to compare it to Marvel, I'd say it was more like when Marvel was doing the Ultimates. Uh, but the way they put them out was just as graphic novels. They didn't do them as individual uh, issues. They did them as OGMs, so original graphic novels. So they were packaged different, and they were released different. Uh, when it comes to like the year ones or the year zeros, like we got year zero during uh, for Batman. Uh, year zero during the Scott Snyder run, like after he did Court of Owls, I think we got Court of Owls and we got Death in the Death of the Family, and then we got Year Zero after that, and it was right. two volumes, so right. volume five and six, I think, three, no, four and five, right? I uh, love the other Zack Snyder series, mm-hmm. so it was inside the same series. I mean, when they collect these out in the trades. I imagine those three will be relishes their own story, probably. Relish is the wrong word. Designed, no. Set up, uh, you know what I mean. Combined as their own, like trade, probably. Yeah. Um, but the very next storyline that picks up at 145 is dealing with some Arkham Asylum stuff, and we know at least the covers are indicating the Joker's included in those two. To what end? Not entirely sure. I mean, one of the covers has got punchline and and. Uh, Joker on the floor, both beat up, and Batman dragging his cape through their, through their, uh, through their bodies. So like, uh, not like they're dead, but it's just like it's a, it's a, it's a picturesque, it's a movie kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, with that story, it's hard to say if that'll be part of that same branding or not. I mean, I assume that it'll have some connection, but. Uh, the next the next story arc is called Dark Prison, and it's supposed to be dealing with Arkham Asylum. So, uh, I I guess we'll see if um, if it is Heavy Joker or if it's more like more of a namesake that is uh, really that Batman's prison is himself. Which the Joker story does kind of lend to that concept. So well, there was there was like kind of an overture to it done. I'm sorry, an overture overture towards it done by Jeff Johns and the Three Jokers, but no one really ever did kind of what I saw uh, Zadarsky do in this like this run. He took kind of exactly where the Killing Joke, uh, I would say, uh, didn't leave off, but established that storyline about the Red Hood and Arthur Fleck. 
he took that and he gave us something even more solid out of that. And that I thought that was interesting because with Zdarsky's talent, I thought they would give him a shot like they gave Frank Miller a shot based on you know how how successful the Dark Knight Returns was. So like, yeah, let's do a year one. Let's let's do this. Let's keep you know retelling this iconic story. And it turned out to be really amazing because one, Frank Miller's you know story was gritty. It was fun. It held on to you as uh, a budding vigilante gets his wings again. Terrible pun, but the the fact is that Joker you know Joker didn't get that. Man, I'm thinking why? Maybe because they've done that enough or. And it's like you say, it sounds like it's setting something up next so we can kind of get to know or re-get to know the Joker character from that point so you can move into Zdarsky's next run. I think I think that's part of it. Like The, the message we, that we kind of get towards the end of it, uh, to not spoil things, I guess I'll kind of keep, I don't know, I, I'm trying not to spoil the exact ending. Uh, but the next title line, like I said, the, the titling of it is Dark Prison. I kind of wonder if Dark Prison is really going to be a physical thing or more of a mental thing. Uh-huh. So I can I, I see it either way after finishing up the uh, the uh, three-part Joker story. And like you said, it does it does bring leans to a lot of things. I mean, it leans to the idea of the Red Hook Gang. It leans to the idea of how there's been a couple different leaders or a couple different Joker types. Um, it's, it's interesting how the book's put together, too, because like, it recycles some art from other books with new story inside of it. Hmm. So, like, it's... The way it moves in the book is pretty cool, because we get some drawings straight out of, uh... Oh, gosh, what was it called? Uh, it's the iconic one where he's holding his face, laughing with the glass behind him, and the Joker's crying and laughing at the same time. That image that was part of... Well, I don't remember where that connects, Max. I don't remember where it connects. Ah, the image is iconic, and I cannot remember what book it connects to. Uh, are you talking oh, about the final scene in Killing Joke? Is that what you're talking about? Maybe, yeah. No, no yeah, okay. There you go. Yeah, okay. The final scene in Killing Joke, where he's holding his face and he's laughing and crying yeah, at the and same then, time in the rain. And then they kind of That's pan out, and everybody wonders if Batman killed the Joker, or if it's like a psychotic break, or if it's just the irony of the world they live in. That was that was the real brilliance of what Alan Moore wrote there, um, and, and Gibbons drew. Uh, but... You know, it, it's it's pretty it's pretty fun. You know, it's always fun to hear your uh, thoughts on these types of things, Steve. Let's uh, pivot now to the uh, final part of our podcast, like we always do. Steve's picks. Hey, if you want to check out the Joker Year One, uh, Zero Year, all the good stuff, anything we talked about, whether it's the Thundercats, you know, X Men, you want to get re, re uh, acquainted with those lovely mutants, uh, those merry merry mutants clad in spandex, much like we aren't because we look bad in spandex. You can get it. <laughs> and, of course, First and Orchard uh, at Top 5 Comics in the Hillcrest Shopping Plaza. Get them on Facebook. They're on Instagram, at Top5CBS. Be sure you follow them. Steve, man, what's got your eye? It's coming either on shelves right now or coming your way soon. Well, coming out like, this week, actually, we're getting a new uh, a new one-shot for Edge of the Spider-Verse, and it teases some new spider characters, including a uh, very... A very Spider-Man-looking Cyclops, um, being X-Men-flavored Cyclops, so that's pretty neat. Uh, it's another another group of one-off, uh, like, five-part series with different characters, so we'll get a bunch of new spiders from that, too, which will be pretty cool. Uh, as far as uh, other things, the second issue of Zorro drops, the uh, book from Massive uh, by Sean by Sean Murphy, and, like, it's, it's, it's a pretty good book. It's, the art's great, because Sean's a very good artist. The story's been fun. It's only a four-part miniseries, so it's not like changing the world by any means. But it was a pretty fun, pretty fun read for the first book, and the second issue bodes the same way. Um, so I'm pretty stoked for that. I think that's uh, pretty neat. Pretty, yeah, and I think that's pretty cool. It's it's good stuff. And Sean Murphy, if you don't, you should easily know him from the Batman White Knight stuff because that's like the biggest thing he's got going over at DC. They basically gave him his own universe and. Well, now he's doing a few other books outside of that that are with different companies, so that's pretty cool. Uh, they started the first issue last week, which um, is the follow-up to the Scarlet Witch series. So now we have Scarlet Witch Quicksilver. And this one does lead directly out of the other series, but the way it starts, it references that, and there's not necessarily pieces you have to read from the other book. So, like, the way they set it up is pretty good. Um, I like the art in it a lot. Uh, it's Steve Orlando writing it. Um, I can't remember who the artist is, though. 
but that it is it's good art. And like we're dealing with the idea that Magneto, who at one point was dead, and right now we actually have a book going on that is his his, his return, so the return of Magneto. Uh, but this particular book picks up with both both Pietro and uh, Wanda being left a package from their deceased, not father, father, which is still kind of weird. Uh, but that's what it starts up dealing with, and the first issue is pretty pretty good for it. Like I, I liked it. If you like either of those characters, it'd be a good thing to check out, just because. Wanda's previous series was really cool. It had to do with her having kind of episodic adventures, like each issue dealt with a different kind of problem. And we get some of the only activity of Darcy in the comic books, because in the movies and the comic books, she's not, it's not quite the same. Uh, <laughs> but she's a cool character and doesn't get a whole lot of shine, so I, I like that they used her in there. Um, there's another book that came out, and like I like it a lot. I'm not so sure like if it's going to be one of those that at some point is more important than... It is, but there's a book called Displaced that came out from Boom Comics. Uh, it's going to be a five-part miniseries, and it has to do with a uh, a town that has vanished into a sinkhole, and then uh, the few people that didn't vanish along with the town, eventually uh, that sinkhole fills up and the world forgets they existed, except for the people that were in the town that managed to not get caught up in the uh, sinking. <laughs> so uh, it's a mystery. Um, I could liken it to the whole idea of Storm of the Century, the movie, or Roanoke, but I, it's got a different kind of thing going on than, uh, I don't know, deals with the devil and whatnot. But it was pretty pretty good. Like, I liked it. Like I said, I don't know if it's going to be something that, again, changes the world by any means, but it was a pretty entertaining book, so I, I dug that. So I hey, if you get a chance to check it out, you should check it out. Boom is putting out some pretty good stuff. They they do. Uh, Boom's underrated. Uh, you know, Dynamite is too. If you uh, want to catch like, good stuff there, don't forget. And you can get them all at Top 5 Comics, of course. Steve, always good to shoot the breeze with you, my friend. Always good to chit-chat about the state of things and whatnot. Thanks for taking the time, brother. Make sure you find him on Instagram, Top 5 Comics CBS. On Facebook, Top 5 Comics. Corner of... First and Orchard Gang in the Hillcrest Shopping Plaza. My brother, always a pleasure to try to squeeze in the tights with you, dude. 